Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I am joined today, and I'm joined once again, and and now for, forever and always, uh, by my good friend, <laughs> business partner, <laughs> Mr. Jason Johnston Yellen, who's who's calling in from the the Shenandoah Valley in beautiful Virginia, America. Longtime listener, first time caller. Yeah, good good to have you. <laughs> Thanks, thank you, Josh. I'm very nervous right now. I'm, I'm not used to speaking on the radio, and so. Um, uh, hi. <laughs> one one of my favorite things because I I listen to a lot of um, NPR, and there's all these fa and you know all these shows where people call in. And you know the the host will say, "Yeah, so we've got Tim here from uh, from Juneau, Alaska. Tim, how you doing?" And he'll say, "Oh, hey." <laughs> and like, "Yep, Tim, you're on the air. Yeah, just just go. What, what do you have?" He's like, "Oh, okay." Like, like I guarantee Tim has been listening to this show for years. He is a long-time listener, first-time caller. Doesn't he, like, know that, you know, learn from the mistakes he's heard from other people? Yeah, imagine how many times he's heard that, and then when he's the one on the end of the phone line, his mind has just gone blank on him. Completely blank. No, that's 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 and, a fair point, yeah. He's even forgotten his own name. Oh. <laughs> yeah, like, he's testing the waters, like, hey, we got Tim here. Yeah. And he's thinking to himself, I think I'm Tim. Am I Tim? Oh, my God. Why didn't I put my ID on the table? My, my mom <laughs> called me Timothy. I don't know. Maybe he's talking this different. <laughs> I guarantee you start thinking to yourself, oh, he's just talking to a different Tim. Yeah, just it's not me. So so yeah. quick one. Let's circle back here. Yes. Thank you. We, a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. had lunch mm-hmm. with Jerry Seinfeld mm-hmm. and... And somebody across the table from Jerry Seinfeld, who you were convinced was Neil Simon. And it is... No, 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 I'm not done. (laughs) I know know you're not done, but I was the one... I was hoping to frame all of this, but go ahead. You do you. You do you. Um, It has come to pass that there's more chance that it was Paul Simon... Uh, given that Neil Simon, for for all of his achievements in life, um, was unable to beat death. Well, it has come to pass that Neil Simon has come to pass. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so 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 we walk into Bubby's and we see Jerry there, and Jerry, of course, says hey to you. And he did. And he did. Hey, Jerry, what up? And and of course, I saw you know, who I thought was Neil. And and I'm thinking to myself, you know, why why isn't Neil saying hello? You know, we talked about this in, in the Matthew Reese episode where Neil knew me as Joshua Hatton of the Guilford Hattons. He did, and, and yeah, and he didn't acknowledge you. And he, that's, he, that's true. He didn't. And so I thought to myself, self, uh, either either Neil is upset with you or he's or he's dead and this is an imposter. And uh, and I just assumed that he was upset with me because, you know. Or, oh, third possibility, oh, oh. it was Neil Simon's ghost, and he only recognized 
recognises Jerry Seinfeld in the realm of the living. Wow. That seems most likely to me. Yeah. Yep. That checks out. Okay. Yeah. So, so he was there just yeah. in spectral form. Right. So the, so the only mistake that we made in, in the Matthew Reese episode is we, we were a little shorthanded, right? Yeah. We went with Neil Simon yeah. as opposed to Neil, Neil Simon's, Simon's ghost. ghost. Neil you Simon's miss ghost. one word and it changes the whole meaning. <laughs> you shag one sheep. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of Matthew Reese in the Matthew Reese episode, I'm not sure we we've ever received as much good feedback on an episode on any episode compared to this one. Yeah, I think it shows that we've made a mistake doing a whiskey industry podcast and we should probably be doing a Hollywood industry podcast. I think so. Because because the, the feedback was was huge. It was, it, w- it and there were people who said, uh, you know, and there were some people, actually, I, I would say a fair number of people that said, uh, you know, I I didn't watch The Americans, really don't know Matthew Reese, two-hour episode, I don't know if I want to do this, but then... Jason but, and Joshua. Jason and Joshua. <laughs> uh, but, then they, but then they go ahead and listen, and... And it was it was as if that two hours was not enough time for them. I think that's true of the Garth Ennis episode and the Adol Rafai episode. Yeah, you know, for some, we did have people reaching out after those episodes to say the same thing. I, I wasn't really familiar with their work. I didn't think the episode would really resonate with me. I was kind of bored on a drive. I went ahead and listened to it anyway, and I loved it. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. Yep. And so it's, it's great to hear that. I, I do the exact same thing with some of the podcasts I listen to, where I'm thinking, ah, oh, maybe I'll skip it this week. Maybe that's an episode that I'm not quite as interested in. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you give it a little try and you end up being surprised. So, yeah, yeah I love it that we were able to pull that off. Uh, listening back to that episode myself, I was laughing out loud in my own car, uh, driving along by myself. <laughs> I, he's a funny dude. He's a he really said some funny, funny things. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great, great afternoon in his kill shelter. <laughs> it was good. It was good. And and um, I'm looking forward to seeing him again. Chances are we may see him again uh, because he does have a little bit of involvement with Pandaren Distillery. And uh, so fingers crossed, I get to, it, I at least get to spend some time with him. You, Jason, uh, maybe not so much. <laughs> it's funny my wife uh, listened to the whole episode my wife yeah uh now that she's a um really a, a supporter of mine but um now or, or yours or yours for that matter <laughs> did you say not that she is or now that she is no, not that she is. Not okay. We, we can say this all the time. We can say a lot of things in these podcasts because our wives will never listen to the episode. <laughs> but the Welsh guy, yeah, again, she hadn't seen the Americans, but yeah. there was a Welsh guy on, you know, Emmy Award winning actor. Yeah. Fwa, fwa, fwa. And uh, yeah, she gave it a listen. And so, yeah, she was she was very happy with it as well. That's so, good. Yeah, Hyde has yeah, been yeah, meaning nice. to do it. Um, I just have to, she said, oh, no, I keep forgetting to, to listen. And, uh, you know, she's, I, I forget when it was, it was last week or a few weeks ago, I'm looking at her phone because she's driving and we're looking for a, a podcast oh. to put on. 
and mm-hmm. and I saw the icon for our podcast, and I said, <laughs> I said, look, I know you're desperate to listen to one of our episodes, but I'm not going to put one on. And she said, she says, you know, I don't listen to any of your podcasts. She said, I will once the Matthew Reese one goes live. That one I'll listen to. <laughs> Other than that, you're not getting any of my time. I'm like, okay, okay, fair enough. Isn't it, great, isn't it great when when they take that additional time just to make sure they completely crush you with, <laughs> you know, I don't listen to any of your podcasts. Yeah. No, no, I understand that, babe. Yep, but we're clear. Yep, well, I'm clear. I don't listen to any of them. Okay, I'm, I'm getting a little bit clamped now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is this has gone over the line. It's become hurtful now. So. One step over the line, Lord Jesus. One step over the line. Sorry, said it went over the line, and that song went straight into my head. Anytime you sing that, I'm just thinking he thinks he's singing in perfect pitch. <laughs> oh, Tim knows. It's amazing that the name Tim would have come to your mind earlier for that example, and now here we are once again talking about Tim Gullicksrud. This, the music teacher who was very complimentary. It's it's a callback. It's a callback to a name. But yeah, <laughs> yep, that's the name that any 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 like fake name I come up with, I'm gonna put Tim. Like if I think it's like a good guy, I'm like he's a good guy. Oh, it's his, I'm sure his name's Tim. And uh, <laughs> you don't want to know the name that I use if it's a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> Usually just Donald. Anyway, so <laughs> let's get to the matter at hand, Jason. Yes. You and yes. I just just a mere three weeks ago now. Was it three weeks ago? Two-ish, three-ish weeks ago. Uh, I guess, well, by the time this, episode's, this episode airs, three weeks ago, uh, we were on Isla. These are the nice, tight intros that we're known for. We are both swingers, you see? <laughs> you have a toy body. Yes. I see that from your toy pants. Yes, you are toy like a tiger. <laughs> so let's spend 30 seconds framing how long ago we were on Isla. <laughs> That'll be important to the listeners. The best part about it is talking about it. Not just framing it, but then talking about the said framing. And then, even better than that, is someone talking about the talking about of the of the frame. <laughs> okay, so that's now a minute. We still haven't got to the uh, main. This point. is terrible. Let me get a, get a little drink of water here. Shut up! Shut up! Oh, I soit me. You don't think I'm the kind that would keep blabbing? Some people never know when to stop. When I'm told to shut up, I shut up. Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> All right. So you and Are you I, sir. Drinking water from a plastic cup. I'm drinking water from my uh, Disney uh, Beauty and the Beast cup, oh, which has an actual, like a real plastic flower inside of it. Okay. Real plastic flower. Anyway. <laughs> oh, I heard you. <laughs> so, you and I, sir, were on Isla. We were with our very good friends Jessica Lomas and Christopher Swede Scott. Hallstrom, uh, and a new friend, Andreas, insert Finnish last name here that I can't pronounce. And we were on Isla for Fijil, the festival 
of music. What's Vigil stand for? I know it's the Festival of Isla, but what's like the full title? Yeah. It's like... Uh, music, yeah, music and Whiskey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was actually quite impressed that there was as much music as there was. I thought given the kind of the, the global insanity surrounding whiskey, that the music would have kind of fallen away from it. Mm. But everywhere we went, there were bands. The The local pubs had bands playing of evenings. Yeah. It was, I, I was quite happy to, to, to see and hear that music still played a, a, a role in it. Now, you and I went there expecting the roads to be flooded, absolutely flooded by yeah. whiskey lovers, tents everywhere, people hitchhiking, trying to get from point A to point B, people stumbling around because they've just been drunk all day. It was nothing like that. No, no, I was really surprised. But somehow the population of Isla doubled and it didn't seem as if it was jam-packed. Now, we don't live on Isla. We are not Ilex. I'm, I'm sure the, the, the people of Isla may have a different impression of it but it but it was yeah it, it didn't yeah. seem as uh packed as i expected yeah i will say the one day that i felt like it was the the craziness of of Fischiel that i was expecting was when we were queuing to get into the brookladdy distillery on the sunday mm. and you know we were four across and 100 rows deep uh yeah. maybe 200 rows deep it was yeah. it was incredible and as the day wore on, people started appearing on the roads. People started appearing on both sides of the verges. If you were driving a car through there, you were working your way around motorhomes and people on bicycles yeah. and taxis and drunk folk. That, that was the one moment where I kind of felt like, mm. oh, this this looks a bit like Fischiel. But the Saturday morning, standing in a, in a queue at Beaumont, uh, the Saturday afternoon, standing in a very short queue in the pissing rain at Lagavulin. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until we went down into the distillery proper and into the warehouse area that Lagavulin looked like a shit ton of people were there. In the way back, yes. Yeah, but it, for me, it was it was the roads. What are, what are the roads yeah. going to be like? Yeah, and, on that. And for the most part, and, and your point is, well, taken for the most part the roads were perfectly fine but i do remember that one guy just as we were leaving brooklady <laughs> he was he was walking at a 78 degree angle and he was somehow walking forward and backward at the exact same time i fucking have no idea how we did that <laughs> That is that is expertly described because uh, that's exactly what our experience of him was. <laughs> it was crazy. So, so this this episode is not meant to be an Isla Figiel experience journal. Uh, this episode is to highlight the fact that we got to spend a little time with David Turner, who is the distillery manager at Bomore, Bomore Distillery. <laughs> We'd met him in the bar mm -hmm. of Bowmore Visitor Centre, which is one of the most wonderful settings on all of Isla, where you, you get to sit there, the doors, the windows, all look out mm -hmm. onto Lockendall and across Lockendall to Brookladdy. It's a beautiful setting. 
But it's also where they bring the tour groups through at the end of the tour to have a wee dram. <laughs> I forget about this, yeah. And it gets really loud in there. Really, really packed, really loud, which, which gives a great atmosphere if you're just sitting there having a dram and having a chat with some friends. It's not an ideal spot for a little recording. And so, so David, to his great credit, had said to us, um, where would you like to do the recording, boys? <laughs> and, uh, and we'd said, if there's a, a quiet corner where we can just hear you and you can hear us. And so he said, well, what about the shoreline? Mm. And so up we got. That's a great idea. Went through the little labyrinth out the back door of Bowmore that I've never gone through before. Uh, that was fun. <laughs> Stepping <laughs> over mop buckets. Uh-huh. And, um, and, and down the shore we went, only to realise that the ideal spot for sitting and recording was right in front of their boiler. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and boy, was that a noisy boiler. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so okay, we've, we've gone from the bar in the visitor centre. Fail. Now we're at the shore on Loch and Dahl. Fail because of the boiler. Um, how about a quiet spot in a warehouse? Okay. So we go into number one vaults, which uh-huh. that was a special little treat to walk in there. That was nice. And then we started going upstairs that I've never gone up in my life. I have never and been up these stairs. Like never. This is a part never, of the warehouse never. I've I've never seen. Anyway, yeah, continue. <laughs> and not only did we go up one set of stairs, because then there was a tour starting to come in uh, to go to. I think I don't know if they've moved it, but that's where the fill your own used to be, oh, and okay. and I don't know if it's still there or not. But there was a group going in there. So then we went up another set of stairs. Fantastic. We've got all the equipment set up on, on casks, you know, casks of Bullmore that are just sitting yeah. in situ mm-hmm. on the third floor of a warehouse next mm-hmm. to Lock and Dahl. Mm-hmm. We set up and what bloody starts happening? Tweet, tweet. But the tweeting of a bird. Tweet, tweet. <laughs> tweet, tweet. And at this point, David said to us, is that bird going to be a problem? <laughs> and we were kind of like, nope, we will make it work. Yep. So so if there's a little bit of ambient bird tweeting in yes. the background, yes. uh, that is one of the Bowmore birds that makes their home on the third floor of the number one vaults. Yeah, it has nothing to do with, uh, we were not in the headquarters of Twitter. <laughs> This was this was a Bowmore. No, there's, there's no social media crossover here. <laughs> no. Yeah. So. So what did we start with on that day that we spoke to David Turner in the warehouse? Well, we basically kicked it off. Well, firstly, thanking him for meeting with us at what whatever time it was. I think it was ten thirty a.m. somewhere around there. He, you know, the previous night was the big Bowmore dinner. It's a big deal. A lot of people yeah. going out, and he he talked. He's he'll talk about it in a little bit. But it's a yeah. long night. He he and a whole bunch of people were out until two a.m. You know, and then you go home, and then you try to fall asleep, right? So this is a guy who he should be tired, but man, was he bright eyed and bushy tailed. So we we thanked him <laughs> for you know for for sticking with the appointment. He says, no no no, happy to do it. This is great. So we kicked it off. We wanted to know about production. 
we wanted an understanding of what it is, what they do that they do. And he gave us the skinny on it. I, you know, sometimes people don't want to talk about, especially in the U.S., right? You've got some people that don't want to talk about their mash bill. They don't want to talk about their the ABV that they put the spirit into. In Scotland, I think they're a bit more open about that. Uh, but he went into different fermentation times, different yeast types. Later on in, in the episode, you're going to hear him talking about uh, where he takes his cuts and how they slow down the distillation when the heart's cuts start to come in. You know, it's really an interesting little segment here, I thought, uh, where he's talking about production. Now, the conversation starts off where he's just talking about how, how great Vigil is. And, you know, we're talking about how we, we bought the 15-year-old and we got to enjoy that in our little apartment for the week and so on. But, yeah, I just really like this. I like the whole conversation, but this first part of the conversation, I thought, is a, is a good introduction, uh, not just for Bowmore and people want to learn a bit more about Bowmore, but hearing the good man David Turner talk about it, too. I thought he was he was really good at explaining everything that we we asked him to explain. Fashil week for you. We're over for Fashil, obviously. Uh, how crazy does it get for you? Or do you have a chance to avoid some of the craziness? No, it's all fun. It's all good for Beaumont. It's all good for the distilleries. It's good for the island. It, mm-hmm. it, there's a great buzz about the island. Everyone has fun. No, we yeah. try and do most of our work that we can do last week so that this week set aside just for we had a dinner last night. We've got a, a tasting in here tonight. We've got... Tomorrow's quieter, the day before our day on Wednesday, then Wednesday's fantastic. People yeah. start queuing for their bottles and it's fun <laughs> and it's part of part of fish week yeah. and it's really good. I know I think it's fantastic. We we try to make time and effort to to be about all week to speak to people, sign bottles and yeah. Yeah, it's good for the brand. It's about educating people and our brand's grown so fast. It's no, it's a fantastic week. Awesome. What's the special Wednesday bottle, yeah. the open day bottle for you? We've got a single cask, Bowmore 1995. Ooh. It's 23 year old. It's 55.2. There's 325 bottles. Whoa. What's the cask type? It's Oloroso Sherry. Ooh. But we tasted it last night. We had a dinner last night. There was 30 guests at it. So that's a kind of wee sneak preview to the oh, public okay. to taste it. So we hope that hits a wee bit of social media and it builds up the stint as well. So it went down yeah. really well. For a 23-year-old Bomore, it was really like chocolate orange. Mm-hmm. But Ooh. I had quite a lot of peat smoke when Bomore gets to like 17, 18-year-old. Yeah. The peat smoke tends to die down or get camouflaged the ripe fruits start turning into tropical fruits. Mm. So this one was like, it was quite peaty for a 23-year-old. It was quite different. Okay. It was picked by five of us at the distillery. All the distillery exclusives, bottle your owns, the face shield of 15 and the big face shield of 23-year-old. There's five of us at the distillery that go around and select these wow. casks for the bottling. So it's good that people come to the distillery and if anyone's got a question about why did you pick that whiskey or what yeah. do you think of the flavour of that, it's picked by us. So it's fantastic for us. It's good okay. and good for the brand. And So speaking but, of the 15-year-old, 
the, we picked up some bottles of that on Saturday after standing in queue for an hour and a half. Which is Jason's favourite pastime. I fucking yeah, hate standing in queues. It. <laughs> it's part of the fun. It's that's, part of the week. That's what it's a kept. social event. Uh, we, we, we found out early that if you call it a line rather than a queue, it confuses him. <laughs> oh, right, and so okay, he doesn't. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> the cognitive dissonance makes it much easier for me to just stand there. As, yeah, getting pissed on on Isla. So, um, but, so we picked up the 15. Could you talk through, you just said a moment ago, you're getting to explain the selection to somebody. Well, why, yeah. What was it about the 15 that you really so liked? So we do two bottlings. We do a limited one, a single cask. It's a bit mm. more limited. It's 325 bottles. Mm. It's £325 as well. Okay. It's a single cask. We do two bottlings. We do a bigger release. We do a, a 3,000 bottle release. We, do, we did a 15-year-old uh, bourbon this year. It's £85. So it's bourbon hogsheads. They were filled in March 2004. Okay. And we went round different barrels, different hogsheads, and we found the hogsheads. Mm. And they were quite a wee bit medicinal for Beaumont. It's quite unusual. There's a bit of medicinal mm. there. Yeah, they were at, at 15, they were just starting to get... like to, Light tropical notes were starting to come Correct, through, yeah. and the distinctive Bowmore smokiness was there. So, we kind of do two a bigger end and a smaller end. Okay, £85 value for money. People were restricted to two per transaction. People come and buy two, they keep one, drink one, yep. and it's yeah. about giving people value for yeah. money. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we opened it on Saturday back at the flat in Bowmore. Enjoy and, it. Uh, oh, yeah. It's cracking, absolutely yeah. cracking. It made and for a great evening and a nice morning the next brilliant, day. Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> uh, and yeah. our good friend Jessica Lomas, who was tasting it with us, uh, brought along Jaffa Cakes. All right. And because ah. of that orange marmalade note, vanilla I would get in it there. Oh, the, yeah. the Jaffa Cakes paired perfectly uh -huh. with it. It was remarkable. So it's always interesting for us to see what feedback we get because <laughs> we, we pick them and we select them. And yeah. yeah, it's all about sharing the word, isn't it? That's why we kind of yeah. do 3,000 bottles. There's enough to go around and at a price range of £85. It was 51.7% as yeah, well. No, so good, it's a good, good solid ABV, well. good drinker. You'd mentioned something, though, that I hadn't thought about. Opening it, nosing it, tasting it. The one thing I said is, it's got a good, good malty presence, but it didn't have the big tropical fruit flavors that I was expecting, and you'd mentioned it before that some of the tropical fruit tends to come out. They're a wee bit older. You yeah. They're a wee bit older. 15 is like kind of ripe fruits. 17 is starting to get a wee bit more mm. tropical, mm -hmm. but ending over 21, 25 is, yeah. is start where the real tropical notes start to come in. And then as they yeah. get older, they get more tropical. Where is the? Where do you think that's coming from? How How is that evolving? We believe that comes from our own floor maltons. We do a high proportion of our own floor maltons. We do 29% of our own floor maltons oh, okay. and more. Uh, the wooden washbacks, the different types of yeast we use, the length of fermentations, and the slow distillation. And you need okay. good new make spirit and put it into good wooden yeah, casts, yeah. and it, uh, they all act together and the, the, okay. the work wonders. Could you, so you mentioned it, fermentation, distillation, different kinds of yeast. Would you maybe give us uh, the short version or the long version yeah, if you'd yeah. like of your your processes your fermentation times the yeast you're using how you distill how it's different where your cuts are etc we we use two different types of yeast we use 
Per, we do an eight ton mash. We use 75 kilograms of Maori yeast and 25 kilograms of Kerry yeast. Oh, yeah. There's two okay. different types of yeast. The Maori tends to start working at the start of fermentation. It's a bit of a faster working yeast. Hmm. And the Kerry tends to come in at the end of fermentation. It's a wee bit of slower acting yeast. Mm, okay. So our fermentations, we do 14 mashes a week. We do half the week is 60 hour fermentation. Another half is 90 hour fermentation. Mm. So we're doing two different fermentation lengths in the week. Hmm. And you d- do you distill those batches? So you're distilling those batches separately. Yeah. And do you marry the product at the end? Yeah, we will for different releases further down the line. Yeah, okay. we, we do one charge cask filling with the long fermentations and one with the short fermentations. And we'll keep an eye on them in the future. And they're all marked down for quality and traceability. Interesting. Wow. How long has that been a, a Bullmore practice? We've been doing that for about four years now. Okay. Okay. We also believe the flavours come from the malt barns. Since 2016, we started doing a run every year with 100% Bowmore floor malt. Hmm. We've done one three years ago today. It's actually three-year-old today. Oh, right. So it's just hit whiskies today. Hmm. So wow. we've got some matured in virgin oak. We put it in different types of casts, different locations in the warehouses yeah. to see how they mature differently. But this one is real more intense, more fruity. I think it'll be a fantastic limited wow. release in the future. Wow. That's very cool. <laughs> Hopefully it turns out well. <laughs> but it's really... Th- <coughs> we distilled it in Festival Day 2016. It was a Wednesday, and it hits three-year-old today. Wow. So, Have you tasted it along the way up to this yep, point? we keep an eye on it. We keep okay. a close okay. eye on it. And, you you yeah. happy with what the Virgin Oak yeah, is doing? Yeah, the Virgin Oak is really good, yeah. It's a faster maturing, but yeah, okay. it's really good. It's more more intense, a bit heavier than, than okay. the usual more, but no. One okay. to watch out for the future. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully uh, a special uh, face bought in the future. Yeah, right? <laughs> that uh, sounds when, great. When you're talking about your malt barns, um, what kind of peating level are you getting on Bowmore that you're peating yourself? And then what's the PPM coming in? Uh, you bring in from Port Ellen Maltings? No, we buy from Simpsons, Berwick upon Tweed, oh. the borders oh, of Scotland. Okay. Yeah, okay. So we bring in... We made 29% of our own malt on site last year, mm-hmm. so it's a high proportion, and we get them both peated at 25 to 30 ppm. Okay. okay. Both the same. Okay. Do you find much fluctuation doing it yourself, or is it pretty much a, an art at this point? That... There are slight fluctuations with the weather and the conditions and that, but no, we, we monitor it closely and we keep it as close to that as we can. Mm. Yeah, We track it every day. We're tracking okay. just to see where we are. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And that 30% is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So is that then a Highland peat, or is there... No, it's Isla peat. Isla peat, yeah, and then Isla goes peat. over to berwick okay. yeah. tweeting in the borders. No, for our own, it's yes. Isla peat, yes. but for Simpsons, it's Highland peat, it's Aberdeen. Gotcha. Okay. And what are you finding... Are you finding... So this is this is a question we we ask ourselves. There's, there's talk about terroir in whiskey, and I've said a few times, oh, partially because I heard this from someone else, and, and it sounds right, <laughs> that you could, you could peat barley with Isla Peat, bring it up to Speyside, distill it in a Speyside distillery, put it in cask, and it will come out like an Isla whiskey because of the peat. Do you find that terroir is a peat-driven aspect in whiskey? No, I think every, I, I don't think that would, I think 
every distillery is unique. It's got yeah. its own character, different size of washbacks, fermentation, the stills, mm. shapes and sizes are totally different. No, I think every distillery is unique to their own plant. So really, instead of getting a regional style, you would just simply get your distillery style yeah, out of the raw yeah. ingredients yeah, that went yeah. into okay, it. Okay, that's good. Yeah, that's yeah, a good bit of clarity. I like that yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. So now that David's laid down the foundation for us with process at Bowmore, we kind of wanted to delve a little bit deeper and ask him about his specific application to that process. Yeah. And... And we also got to find out when he started at Bowmore. I I knew that that he'd put in some time at Bowmore. I didn't realise quite how much time he'd put in. And also that he's never worked at another distillery on Isla. He has been a dedicated Bowmore man. Yeah, I, I didn't know that either. I was under the impression that he... And I don't know why I was under the impression. Well, I, I think I do. The fact of the matter is, David Turner is a massive Bowmore fan. He's a collector. He, you know, he talks about some of his favorite vintages, and, and you'll hear it in, you know, throughout the episode somewhere in here. Right? We talk about seeing him at the Old and Rare show, and he's there to see if he can find some old '64, '66 Bowmores, and uh, you know, he talks about this special Bowmore that they opened at the Bowmore dinner in this next little clip here too. Like I thought that he was just this massive Bowmore fan that somehow got a job as distillery manager of Bowmore. <laughs> I didn't know he started, you know, way back when. <laughs> you wanted it to be the American dream, right? Just right, big fan, got yeah. his dream job. Yeah. Here he is happy as a day's long. That yeah. man worked his way to the top, Joshua. Yeah, it's like, you know, here they tell you anybody could be president, which is true. But in in on Isla, I guess it's not true that anybody could be a uh, distillery manager. He worked his butt off to do it. I came here to work when I was 16 years straight from school. So I've been here for 20, 29 years next okay. week. So I've been here from leaving school and I've started at the bottom. I started working in the warehouses, worked right through the process and up to the distillery mm. manager. It's just fantastic. It's an amazing process. It's so every distillery is different. They're all unique in mm. the process. And it's great to see the final product. Like so, the whiskey's there, 1999. I remember putting them into wooden casks. That's like 20 <laughs> years ago. So we can yeah. monitor them all the way along and yeah. all the different styles we've got here. It's just amazing, yeah. All the guys are really passionate about it and proud of the product they make. Yeah. For sure. And it shows. There's no yeah. doubt about yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Uh, what's the biggest change you've seen in, in your time with the distillery, 29 years? We've still handcrafted. There's been no real change in production. Hmm. Suntory are all for quality, so we invest heavily for the, the long term now. Mm. I think the Bowmore's doing really well and the future looks really good. Mm-hmm. Is there then an aspect that you want to put your thumbprint on or are you continuing a legacy that you inherited? We're continuing a legacy that we inherited. We're making, we're now selling the good stuff that the guy, the old guys in the past made. Mm. We're hopefully making good stuff for the next generation to hand on. Yeah. So you're just like a caretaker in time. We're passing on from one generation to another and you just hope the tradition gets held. 
the one I did was probably 100% floor malt. I was quite proud. Mm. It's the first time it's ever been done in Beaumont okay. and laid down to mature and, uh, and separated in cast. So oh, okay. it's really an interesting one for the future. So I would say that was my kind of thumbprint. Awesome. Or hopefully cool. it goes well in the future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have any reason to experiment with yeast? You're talking about Maori and Kerry? Is no, we've all, that's always been our recipe for many, many years, and we, we just keep the mm. same recipe, and we will keep it going forward you as well. You don't want to fix anything that isn't broken. Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, any kind of wood experimentation that's of interest to you that you're Yeah, we do different. Bullmore has always been renowned for doing different wood finishes. We, mm. We've been using port, Bordeaux wine, stuff like that. Obviously, Fino's gone back to 60s, but mm. Bordeaux, Virgin Oak and that, we've been using them for the last 25 years in here. Okay. So we do different wood finishes and different maturations just for our limited editions. We're a single, we see ourselves as a single malt specialist. Everything we make in Beaumont is purely for 100% for our own single malt. So we try to do different stuff and we're very one of the top few collectible distilleries in the world. So we like to give our fans something different mm. and unique to taste and mm -hmm. do different whiskies as well. You were talking, to circle back something you said earlier about the whiskey dinner last night, you were saying there was a, a special wee pour in there? Yeah, we had a dinner last night for re, uh, releasing those festival bottles to the people and we had a 1965, 52 year old. Oh gosh. It was just like, so it was matured in refill. Yeah. Uh, all the rose old butts and it was just so dark and t the, the dark berries and oh, grapefruit. Wow. It was wow. so dark and tropical. Yeah. The nose was amazing and the taste and the finish was fantastic. Yeah. Gosh. It went down really, really well. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> now, back, back then, so 65, I know Laphroaig at that time was using a brewer's yeast and then sometime in the late 70s to early 80s, they, they transitioned from a brewer's yeast to a brewer's and then a distiller's yeast and then transitioned completely to distiller's yeast. Was there a time period for Beaumont where there was a similar transition? Yeah, I think every distillery used brewer's yeast yeah, in the right? past and then it just it got phased out. So yeah, Beaumont used it in the past as well. Mm -hmm. But we've got the right, we believe we've got the right mix of yeast just now, 25% yeah, yeah. Kerry, 75% Maori. Yeah, we yeah. think it's the right mix, the right balance for yeah. fermentation and for flavours. Okay. Who would have come up with that experimentation? It would have been done many years ago. Yeah, and yeah it would have been a bit of trial and error just to see <laughs> what, what what worked and what, yeah. uh, what yeast was living after the fermentation and stuff like that as well. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, that speaks to the Scottish industry, doesn't it? Oh, it was a bit of experimentation yeah, and trial and error, and we error, saw what yeah. worked and what <laughs> <Yeah>. didn't. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> you got to wait 12, 15 years to see how they work. But yeah, some came out better than so others. So far, it's going good. So yeah. hopefully, we can keep you up the good stuff. Do you remember that time before Jason? And I told you we start talking to David about the old and rare show and how we saw him I do. there. Um, I do. <laughs> well, actually, that little segment of our conversation is what's coming next, and it's a good bit. This is where we get to. This is where we get to talk to the whiskey geek, David Turner, and uh, this is a fun little bit because I get to hear what he's looking for, and uh, and I get to talk about an imperial bottling that I've had on my shelf for quite some time and got to taste at that old and rare show as well. So 
Uh, yeah, I just wanted to hop in here really quickly, and then, boom, we're going to hand it right back to David. I was thinking back to the Old and Rare show. You're the only distillery manager I can think of that I saw at that Old and Rare show. I, I love the history of the whiskey and, yeah. and tasting different whiskeys from different distilleries through different decades as well. I'm just really passionate about whiskey, and I love... I've got mm. a collection for drinking at home. It's quite growing yeah. uh, steadily or, or slowly, <laughs> I should say. But yeah, I just love whiskies from the, the yeah. different decades just to see the quality and yeah. the different flavours. I think the people who go to these shows are really passionate and it's good to meet them and it's good networking to go to these shows as well. I think they're fantastic. So what is it you look for? If you know, I know what the distilleries I look for. What is it that you're hoping to to see? Are you looking to find some old Beaumors to your... Yeah, Beaumors from maybe 64, 66, 68. So the good tropical fruity mm. vintages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're the main ones I would, I would look to. And it's good, even if you've got some of these bottles at home, it's good to go to these shows because you can, if there's bottles open, you can try a wee dram and you, you get to taste it so you know. Yeah. Whether it's worth opening the bottle or... <laughs> Or opening an island. <laughs> oh yeah, this, that show is actually a really good uh, lesson. Isn't the word? But I, I've I've had this Caddenheads bottling of an old Imperial. Oh yeah, fantastic! And uh, it was a fourteen-year-old bottled in seventy-nine. I want to say it was an old one. Anyway, okay, fantastic. Sixty-four point one percent. Got it for a song, and I said, one of these days I'm going to open it up. And they had it there, and so I got to a try taste. It. it was terrible. Was it? Okay. <laughs> you learn, that's it, that. Every you know, day's a school day. I, I shouldn't say it was terrible, but it, it seemed as if it was, it was far too spirit forward. You couldn't detect any of that Imperial DNA, and Imperial is the number one distillery that I collect. I know, odd fetishist distillery to collect. But it was one of those ones where I said, oh, I can't wait to try this. I don't have to open my bottle. Wonderful news. Um, and yeah, I did. I just I didn't like it. Maybe it was good for someone else, but it wasn't. Yeah, good absolutely. For me. That's a good thing about whiskey. There's yeah. no bad ones. They're all good. And yeah. people have just got different flavors. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you're talking a lot about the tropical fruit notes. Is that your number one style of Beaumore? Is no, that... a bit of tropical fruit, but yeah. you, you want to have the distinctive Beaumore smokiness as well. Mm. No, I think Beaumore's perfectly balanced. We see ourselves or call ourselves a mid-range or a perfectly balanced style of whiskey. Yeah. There's a bit of peat smoke in there. Isla's renowned for the peat smoke. We've got some peat smoke in there, but there's loads of flavours going on in there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. Is there any wood that you haven't matured in that you'd like to see what Beaumore does in it? No, I think we've got good trials going on we've got really good stuff maturing here as well we've got fantastic stuff to come in the future <laughs> there's a tease yeah <laughs> the best but more still to come Whoa. <laughs> you know earlier on in this conversation i asked david about his cut points and you know we we wanted to know the fermentation times the types of yeast you know er- everything from from top to bottom and for some reason or another, we never got to the cut point part of it until the end. And I remember, I remember uh, as we're getting toward the end of this conversation, I finally said, oh, shit, shit, I forgot to ask you about this. And so, so I, I put the question in front of him. And, and not only did we get where they take their hearts cut, which, you know, we've talked about this before. The hearts cut with any distillery, it's subjective. 
where a distillery takes their cuts when when the four shots start and 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 then when the faints start that time in between could be whatever that distillery wants based on the spirit character that they're looking for and david often talks about in in this interview the the tropical fruity characters of Vomore and yep. and and where things are coming from and and I think his explanation here uh, helps to shed a bit more light on on where these flavors are coming from. Now, one thing I wanted to bring up with you though before we move on to it, David had said, and and this was a bit earlier on in the conversation. David had said, you know, as we were talking about the fifteen-year-old Fijil bottling, I said I loved the whiskey. I thought it had a nice malty backbone to it. However, I wasn't getting the tropical fruits that I was expecting. And he went on to explain to us that the tropical fruits really come through starting in year 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. That's when the tropical fruits really start to come out. However, one of my favorite whiskeys, it used to be called uh, Beaumore Tempest. Now it's mm-hmm. like uh, Doris Moore. It is uh, in the U.S. It's still Tempest in the U.K. Yeah, and Europe. yeah. Um, one of the things that I love about this Beaumore is, A, it's it's cast strength, or at least close to it. It's in the, the mid-50s, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. It's all first fill bourbon, and it's amazingly fruity. And so I wonder if it's one of these situations where fruit comes up in, during a certain time in that whiskey's life, and then it starts to go away as it evolves more in the cask, and then it starts to come up again. And I think you talked about something similar to that with uh, with a friend of yours who had a, a cask of Port Charlotte, right? Yeah, theirs, theirs didn't really stay on the roller coaster, though. Theirs, unfortunately, went off the cliff. And, and so it didn't come back. It never came back? No. But it... So how, how was it? It was... Year, year seven and eight, it was really good. Like, what, what was the evolution that you saw? And what's your last uh, memory of where this whiskey is? Eight was better than seven was better than six. Nine was worse than eight. Ten was worse than nine. Eleven was worse than ten. Well, I mean, if the lifespan of the Bowmore whiskey is any indication, then maybe a similar thing will happen with, uh, with their... Port Charlotte. But I think that speaks to how we view the aging process. Mm-hmm. If you think about the number on the front of a bottle, it increases one year per year. And we tend to compare 10 year old releases to 8 year old releases to 12 year old releases. Mm-hmm. But whiskey could be maturing in a much wider swath of time, hmm. right? You could have a, a three year dip that then leads to a three-year peak or a four-year or five-year. Whereas we think in terms of annual movement, even the way I just described my friend's cask, where they were tasting it annually and saying, oh, that's getting better, that's getting better, that's getting better, that's getting worse, that's getting worse, that's getting worse. Hmm. But really, you've got a three-year good swing followed by a three-year poor swing. Maybe there's a three-year good swing coming back again. Yeah, and, you know what I mean. I do, and and just so we're very clear, this isn't to say that the fifteen-year-old 
was in part of a bad swing. Uh, I thought it was a good whiskey, but it didn't have those tropical fruit flavors that I was looking for that I find in the 10-year-old and that he says you'll find again in a 17, 18, 19-year-old whiskey. So yeah, it swings and development. Yeah. And we have it. We, we just talked about it in the, the Matthew Reese episode with Penderin, where you were saying the the Madeira cask finishing is particular to each batch. They don't have a hard and fast rule for how long something should be finished, mm. but instead they respond to the needs of the whiskey. And I think that's something David Turner has very much under control at Bullmore. Without a doubt. We didn't talk about the cuts on your spirits still. Where, where do your heads or your, your four shots end? In we your do 35 speed? minutes first cut, the head, and then we do about two hours, 45 minutes on the middle cut. We run the middle okay. cut very, very slowly. You, so you slow it down in the middle? Yeah. Okay. And is there an ABV range, the, the top end to the low end? 74 to 61. It comes okay. out about an average 69. Okay. So it's fairly wide, but, so you're, but you're distilling it slower. Yeah. Slow it so the only finest and lightest of vapors get over the neck. Oh, I see. What would happen if you ran them faster? How would that affect the spirit? Be a bit heavier and a bit more intense oh, yeah okay. you get the heavier flavors coming over by okay. running it slowly only the lightest finest of vapors get over the neck of the got still. it and do you think that contributes to the what turns into those tropical fruity yeah, absolutely, notes yeah absolutely only the finest and lightest flavors get over the top yeah yeah the heavier ones are okay reflux or stay stay in what i found interesting uh you know the the dream you gave us uh which by the way thank, thank you, you again oh, enjoy. uh heavily sherried good rich sherry um, add a few drops of water and it opens up beautifully. But what I found is those lighter tropical fruit flavors are still there. They're not f- overshadowed by the sherry at all. No, it's about getting the right balance. We keep an eye on all the casts and we mm. monitor them as they're going along and we, okay. we get them when we think they're just okay. hitting the ripe time. And, and is it a team that, that comes, comes together for all the various releases? Is that just you? For the distillery releases, we do them here at mm-hmm. the distillery. There's probably about five of us who go about and do it. But for the worldwide release, it's, it's a master blender who does all that. Is that Eddie? No, it's Ron Welsh. She's based in Glasgow. Ah, okay. Is Eddie still with the distillery? He's retired. He retired a couple of years ago, but he still pops in from time okay. to time. He'll be here on Wednesday. To okay. help us at <laughs> yeah, good, good, good. He still good. does stuff for us. He yeah. helps educate the new team and stuff like that. That's good. Yeah, yeah I, he, he gave me my very first lesson in cutting peat okay, back in yeah. 2011. Absolutely. I, yeah. It showed me just no, how terrible at it I am. Him. Pops yeah. in from time to time. Yeah. Does a wee bit of work for us. That's cool. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a good guy. Your yeah, muscles yeah. are still sore from cutting that peat <laughs> in 2011. <laughs> Tell you, eight years later. And <laughs> it's hard work. That's it. I worked out. I got my... <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing like doing it for 10 minutes and then saying, I think I've had my fill Absolutely. of cutting peat. Yeah. That was, yeah, the guys that are out there from dawn till dusk in the good weather, that's for sure. Unbelievable. Is it, is it all still by hand? Do you do machine at all? We use machine now. You do yeah. machine now, yeah, yeah. yeah. What a business to be in, can't yeah, Was yeah. that part of your time here? No, it was before my time. The distillery operators used to go out in the summer and cut it. We've always used a contractor. Good oh, grief. Okay. Yeah, because okay. the seasons are changing slightly, so you tend to cut them maybe a wee bit earlier now, maybe April time. So. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. There you oh. go. There's climate change. Controversial. 
Not really. (laughs) 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 So what's Bobo's official stance on global climate change? Uh, uh, that's cool. Yeah, well, uh, David, thanks ever so much for your time. Well, I really you guys. appreciate yeah, it. Really yeah, appreciate likewise. taking time away from your office. I know you're busy. Um, did, you, did you get a chance to crack open the Great Isle of Swim? Or? No, no, we've got it yeah. up in the office and we're going to put it in Pride of Place in the Visitor Centre so tourists can see it. No, oh, we want to lovely. keep it. And Thank you. That's great. For Thank a few you. years. Yeah, good. that's a good memory for what good he's done good. and good work for charity. And Absolutely. No, we appreciate it and we'll, we'll put the bottle on display for people to see. That's Brilliant. lovely. We appreciate that. Once again, thanks to David Turner for making the time for us Indeed. during a very busy Fischiel week for him and also for finding a location for us <laughs> in the in the warehouse the third time of asking uh-huh. and thanks to the Tweety Bird yes. for their participation as well. Yes. And if you do find yourself at Bowmore, go look out for the Great Isla Swim Bottle. Assuming, of course, you don't already have one in your own collection. Oh, that is, that is that's a good way to put it. I, I, as much as I want David to open the bottle and enjoy the bottle, I do like that it's going to be in the visitor center. So, uh, yeah, so hopefully you listeners will have a chance to visit Isla. Please do. Check out Bowmore. And when you're upstairs relaxing, look around. You'll see our bottle sitting amongst some 1957 decanters and all crazy Bowmore bottles. Just just for our bottle to be amongst all of these legendary Bowmore bottles really yeah. warms my and heart. And I would, I would definitely add, as much as it's a great honor for our bottle, the bottle only exists to honor the swim that yeah. Justin... Yeah. Chad and Johnny undertook, mm-hmm. and so uh, you know to have a little moment in time captured in that visitor center, I think just speaks uh, to great honor for the whole expedition. Yeah, and and as you rightly say, and and I I said a moment ago, thanks to David for supporting that and seeing mm-hmm. uh, seeing what we were trying to offer and what the expedition was trying yeah. to offer yeah. to Isla as well. Yeah, so, good. There you go. So, David did not have a misconception uh, to offer up, which is okay, because I actually have one that I've been wanting to share for a while. Did you want to, to get a little uh, a bit of news out of the way, and then move Absolutely. over to misconception? Oh, some very timely news, yes. Very timely news. All right. Did you want to wake up the paper boy, or shall I? Let's go to work, son. Let's get her done. Get her done. So the news, Jason, what's this, what's this fancy bit of news, this, as you called it, timely bit of news that we're, uh, that we're meant to be sharing here? So we've mentioned previously on the podcast, I believe. Uh-huh. A couple times, maybe. Maybe one. Yeah. <laughs> that we have mm-hmm. a rather exciting release coming. And, and why I'm saying timely release, we've been talking about our 1989 Beaumore, and then we had the pleasure of David Turner's company, where he talked about starting at the distillery in 1989 as a 16-year-old. Yeah. Like, these are just amazing coincidences in the whiskey world. 
that we're speaking to the manager, the current manager of Bowmore, who mm. started in the same year that our current release of Bowmore was distilled. Yeah. And for us, this 1989 has has a presence that connects it to that decade of production mm-hmm. at the distillery. Mm-hmm. And we didn't take any time to ask David about Bowmore before he got there. You know, right. before yeah. he arrived on the door as a 16-year-old. And so, yeah. so, so we, tell us, David, tell us about production uh, in the 80s uh, when you were 16 years old and just started at the distillery. <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't want to we didn't want to bother with with questions of, well, I heard this and I heard that and I heard this other thing. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. So so I really want to celebrate the connection between our 89 and his 89 uh, starting time. But given what he just said about getting age on Bowmore mm. and seeing tropical notes appear as Bowmore increases in age, yeah. you, you teased the tasting notes on the Single Cast Nation Facebook page this week. That I did. I, do, do you mind, Jason, if I tease them here? Because yeah, go for it. I think yeah, yeah. For for anybody who listens who's like me and avoids the face place, it might be nice to deliver them to them in this tidy podcast. Yeah. So this is a thirty-year-old. It was distilled in March of nineteen eighty-nine, and uh, bottled. Actually, it was just bottled. So um, the label says May. Of nine of two thousand nineteen, but it was actually in June of two thousand nineteen. The color is gold, and on the nose it says everything that we look for in nineteen eighties Beaumont: pineapple soda, almost effervescent on the nose, pixie sticks, lavender oil, new canvas shoes, a delicate wisp of smoke, mandarin peel zest, orange blossom honey, sugar cookies. And a panoply of greenhouse flowers. Mm. That is inviting as hell, in my opinion. Yeah, very bright. Yeah, very bright, very floral. You know, talks to a bit of that tropical fruit with that pineapple soda coming through, which which I like. And uh, and then we go on with the palate. It's a very generous mouthfeel. It's both unctuous and vibrant reminiscent of the effervescent quality that we got on the nose. It says, highly perfumed with spider mums, lavender. And uh, this next note, I think, is going to be a bit of a controversial one. After lavender, we say, no tear kids hand soap. Mm, yeah, yeah, I think of Reuben at Whiskey Notes right away. Right? You know, you could say, oh, so that's going to be soapy. No, if you smell that soap, you're getting the floral component. You're getting the fruitiness. Like, they try to make this smell nice and inviting for kids who don't wash their hands or kids who don't wash their hair. Like, you know, like my kids hate brushing their teeth because they don't like the taste of peppermint. So we have to find a toothpaste that doesn't have any mintiness to it. So it's a similar thing here. You know, that's what they tried to do with that soap. So don't think of it as soapy. Think of it as 
a floral component, a fruity component. Do your kids know that they make toothpaste in bubblegum flavor and strawberry flavor? Uh, they do, but, um, you know, Haida is very particular about the things that she buys and there's lots of ins and outs and what have you with the stuff that we need to purchase. This is a very complicated case, Maude. You know, a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have you's, and uh, a lot of uh, strands to keep in my head, man. You know, no GMOs and organic and, you know, stuff like that, uh, which which I agree with. Uh, you just can't find bubblegum flavor in, like, some naturopathic... <laughs> You know, toothpaste. Anyway, back to the tasting notes. Unless you want to pause I'm just me more, here. I'm just more amazed that you ever you ever used the bubble gum? Like we get it where sometimes the little minis come from the yeah. dentist office and the minis always make their way into my travel bags. Hmm. And so I was on a trip in a hotel one time and I went to brush my teeth at the end of the day hmm. and it was bubble gum mini toothpaste. And uh, you press on because it's all you've got. Yeah. And my teeth just didn't feel clean at the end of it. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I shouldn't feel or taste bubble gum when my teeth are clean. And so yeah. that was exactly it's a horrible experience. Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is, it sounds like you're just putting the wrong kind of minis into your travel bag. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it's like. Sometimes you're packing it last second. You need a mini. You grab it from the box of minis, and you get the wrong one. Yeah. Right. Whatever will be, will be. Okay. And what's the finish like, Joshua? Well, I'm not done with the palette. <laughs> okay. The palette goes on and says... I need a drink. It says, Maybe of this bowl more. <laughs> it says, past all of this, the shopping list of penny store candies are revealed. Mm. Fun dip, bottle caps, red hot dollars. Oh. And then it goes on, we say, the floral component returns in the form of rich and pungent honeysuckle. I, I, I love honeysuckle yes. presents and whiskeys. Yes. Yep. Yep. It, it makes me very, very happy. Now the finish. Now I, Drum I, roll. Yep. I, I wrote this, and my American compatriots, I think, will all identify with this especially as kids who 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 had penny store candies so the finish like beech nut gum the fruit on this finish is massive unlike beech nut gum the flavor goes on and on and is supported by that delicate thread of smoke we detected on Oh, I say on the finish I got to retype that <laughs> that we detected on the nose um have you ever had beech nut gum? I don't think so. So it's, you know, uh, it's got a zebra on it and it's like a smiling zebra. I think, well, let's take a look. Let me, let me look at the internet here. Beech nut gum. And this is nothing to do with the gum that comes in uh, baseball packs. No, 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 no. No, because that, that's just a bubble gum flavor gum. Or beech nut, so it's beech nut gum fruit stripe, five flavors, and so you've got five strips of gum, five different flavors. You pop a stick of gum in your mouth, 
and the flavor is massive. It's so big. It's so fruity. And you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, uh, magic is happening in my mouth. Fast forward 45 seconds and all of that flavor is gone, like immediately. <laughs> it's like it's like blowing its load, like all all in the well, that's a weird choice of words. Um, <laughs> it has blown its load all in your mouth. Like, is that what you were taking, man? That's that's where I was going. But you seem to make it dirty, Jason. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> Always to the blowing of the loads into mouths with you, Jason. These are all your words. Yeah. All your words. Just because you say Jason at the end of it doesn't make them my words. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a particular style of Bowmore that you and I consider to be our, our favorite styles of Bowmore. Um, so we're very excited to to finally be releasing one. Well, you did a little taste test with it the other day, and I, mm. I don't know if you posted any of this online, but you took one of our absolute favorite Beaumores, the 26-year-old Master of Malt Beaumore, released uh, 2009. Yeah. 2009, yeah. Yeah, released in 2009, which is remarkable. All penny store candies all the way. And if you remember when Master Malt sold that bottle, they actually mm-hmm. sent you a bag of, of British candy with it. Uh, little drumsticks and refresher chews. And yeah. that, was a, that was a wonderful move on their part. Yeah, really smart. And I, talking about blowing through, uh, I blew through my bottle real fast. I have absolutely nothing and I wish I'd bought three or six or 12. Well, if you remember correctly, it was also only 90 pounds for the bottle. Yeah, 99 99? 99. Okay, 99. So I still have a heel left of my first bottle. I do have a second bottle that I will open at, you know, at another occasion. But yes, I did do a side-by-side because that is my all-time favorite Beaumore. Period. Full stop. I, I, I would give some room to compliment Beaumore Gold, but... Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but yes. you can buy one of one of them, uh, or uh, yeah, yeah. I guess nine thousand, ten thousand for the Bullmore Gold now. I guess we can say nice things about the Crown Jewels, but you know, <laughs> as far as Bowmores that aren't considered the Crown Jewels, uh, that one is 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 my favorite. So I did it. I. Because you have none of yours left, I have some of mine. I wanted to do a side by side. Yeah, I I only have an unopened Bowmore Gold. Okay, so I okay. I couldn't do the a, a similar comparison. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I st- well, I still have a heel left of of my first bottle and six other bottles. Just you know, <laughs> for whenever, you know, mixed with Coke, mixed with some Coca Cola. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Bowmore Gold. <laughs> what are you going to do? So I did a side-by-side of our Bowmore to the Master of Malt one. And I'm very happy to say all of the things that you and I love about the Master of Malt, we found in ours. The exception being that Master of Malt one was from a refill sherry cask and ours is from, from a bourbon barrel. And that sherry cask just gives... 
the master malt one just just a bit more weight, a bit more mm. of a heavier quality to it. Our, ours is a bit lighter. It's a bit fruitier. I think ours stands up pretty well, uh, p- pretty damn well. And master malt aside, this is my favorite '80s Beaumont cast that I've tasted, and and you you know I've and this is a foie, foie, foie moment. I've got plenty of 80s Beaumore because I was collecting it at a time that it was pretty cheap to collect. Yeah. You know, nowadays, not so much. We talked about the Master of Malt one being 99 pounds. Well, times have changed. Now people are either on to 80s Beaumore or it's just, it's 30-year-old juice. What are you going to do? You know, we we're cutting our margins to sell this at three ninety five a bottle, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, that is a price. Yep. So there you go. That's that's the bit of news that I thought uh, that you and I thought was was uh, was time. I forget that you're back. I mean, because my Matthew Reese was was with me for that for that one week, and it was just you know it's like is just like heaven. And now that you're back, I forget that you were here. So, <laughs> welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. Welcome back to that same old place that you laughed about. Welcome back again. Wow, keep the compliments coming, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you had a misconception that you wanted to get to at the end of the episode. And the time for that is now. The time has come, the walrus said, who told of other things, of shoes and chips and cherry whips and something. You know what I'm talking about? Sure. Carry on. Okay. Uh, there skip is, to the end. Skip to the end, yeah. So here is a misconception. And I thought that this was very interesting. I'm running a tasting for a group of people who were admittedly wine drinkers, not mm-hmm. not whiskey drinkers, uh, what it, but there was a good amount of them. And this is one of the things that I like about wine drinkers, even though I'm not a wine drinker, I really don't, other than sherry, I'm not a wine drinker. Wine drinkers have the opportunity to be a bit more daring, if they want to. They have the opportunity to be a bit more daring when when looking for new flavors by way of new bottles, because you can find some really, really good bottles of wine for $8 here, $10 there, $13 there. It's all cheap. Now, when it comes to whiskey, not so much. So you you don't always have that sort of daring attitude. Anyway, that's just me complimenting the wine, the wine people. But what I loved about this group is they had so many interesting questions. They were all green. And so, A, the seminar was kind of easy for me because I was able to dial it back and just give a nice sort of Whiskey 101 seminar. Mm-hmm. But then people asked some questions I rarely heard. And, you know, the, the, the whole theme behind the idea of a misconception is not to say, you know... Joe the plumber thought this about whiskey, but boy, was he so stupid. This is what it really means. That's not it at all. You hear someone who thinks, A, about whiskey, and you're able to 
to, in a, in a really diplomatic way and sort of a teachable moment way, say, you know, it's interesting that you think that. However, that's not the case. What's happening is is B rather than A, right? So so anyway, the the question that I had, um, I, I forget what whiskey I was I was pouring, but it was dark as hell. So she she starts asking about the color of the whiskey. And she she basically said, you know, as the spirit's coming off of the still, mm-hmm. is are you losing color as it's coming off of the still, or is the color increasing the more you distill it? And I had to explain to her because I didn't have a bottle of new make spirit on me. I had to explain to her, and I held up my bottle of water. I said, "This is the color of the spirit as it comes off of the still. All of the color that you're getting is straight from the cask." It's straight from the oak. And, or if it's sort of a general release, or let's say it's Johnny Walker Black, or, you know, any of your, your, your common blends, they're all using caramel coloring. And so there may be some natural color in there, but they're using caramel coloring to, to ensure that the color is always the same from batch to batch to batch, or, or what have you. So it was this great teachable moment to, to tell people that casks not only offer up 70% of the overall flavor, but they offer up 100% of the color to, to, to our whiskeys and to many whiskeys out there. So I thought that was a good little misconception. Yeah, I'm glad you pulled it from a group of wine drinkers as well. I was doing a tasting over the weekend and there was a chap there who, you know, very happy in the world of wine. And as I started the tasting, I was swirling my glass. I was bringing it in from one side, nosing it, passing Mm. it across my nose, looking at the oils, those legs in the glass, tasting it, looking for texture. And he piped up pretty quickly and said, these are all the things we do when we taste wine. Yep, <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what we do in a whiskey tasting. Yeah, and and it's just again that little bit of disconnect between whiskey comes in a rocks glass with ice and maybe something uh. diluting it. You sit with it of an evening and you put it across your mouth while reading the newspaper or watching a movie or whatever you're doing, and the thought of all that being deconstructed right back to nope, we're looking at. Color, oils, mm. checking nose, palate, mm-hmm. texture. He was really impressed that he could now do with whiskey what he was very comfortable doing with wine. Yeah. It, was, it was a nice little rev- revelation for me. Similarly, some of the wine drinkers started doing something that, that I suggested they stop. Were they inhaling oxygen? With the inhaling of oxygen while the whiskey's in your mouth. They do the like... <laughs> Like yeah, you, like sucking you, a straw, right? You do that with wine, and I understand why you why you do that with wine. You're you're oxidizing it really fast in your mouth. You're opening the flavors, but when you're dealing with forty to seventy percent alcohol in your mouth, you definitely don't want to be doing that. And so I would hear this, and I'd say, "Whoa," um, you know, and I had to check myself too because it it's it's one of those things. It's like proof and smooth it drives me bonkers when i see people do this and and i have to tell people it's like you know i know why you do that for wine it totally makes sense in this case the better way to do it is to chew your whiskey mm-hmm. if you chew oh, the whiskey nice. right you get you get it 
all across your tongue, the front, the back, the sides, the, the center of your palate. And, and that is really how your mouth will better work to identify some of the flavors. Yeah. And, well, it's and, really yeah. uncomfortable because you bring out all the alcohol prickle. Yeah. And so you just make it a really horrible experience for yourself if you try to do that sucking in of air. Yeah. Uh, while the, the whiskey's on your palate. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's a whole host of reasons to not do that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, chewing it, that, that's a nice recommendation for them. Yeah, so, uh, so while there are so many similarities for for nosing and tasting, I think that is probably the biggest difference between tasting whiskey and wine. Is there any other difference you can think of that that would make the... Now, there's a difference between tasting and drinking. So I'm talking about mm-hmm. specifically the, the tasting of wine versus the tasting of spirits. No, I would actually go with a similarity, which is once the alcohol is out of your mouth and you've swallowed it, I always tell people to smack their lips. Go... Mm. And that's an opportunity to get some oxygen in there that'll help develop some flavors without you blowing your palate. Yeah, yeah. One other thing that I tell people, especially a newbie, is that after they've chewed the whiskey and after they chewed the whiskey when they're getting ready to swallow, I say, A, don't hold your nose while you swallow. And B, after you swallow, like, hold, you know how you, like, you can hold your nose without physically holding your nose? Oh, okay. You know okay. what I'm talking about? <laughs> and, sure. and then after you swallow, do not breathe out through your nose. Because pe- ah. because that's what people do when they do a shot. They hold their nose without holding their nose. <laughs> they do a shot, and then they they breathe out through their nose, and they say, Oh, that's so, oh, ah, you know, and it becomes that bad shot experience. I say, no, no, don't do that. Swallow the whiskey, breathe out through your mouth, and then smack your lips together. Yep, I, I like the smacking of the lips because it's, it's, again, that's when the oxidation starts. The alcohol has gone down your throat. Now whatever's left over, smack your lips. Now you can let the oxygen work a little bit without it just like lighting your head on fire. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, there you go. I think we, I think we put the world to rights on that topic, Joshua. Yeah, I'm hoping the that, that uh, any wine drinkers out there that have listened to that, that are looking to delve more deeply into the world of whiskey, that that helped in some way. Well, I think it also gives our regular whiskey drinking listeners a chance to tell their wine friends a few little different ways to go about sampling the whiskey that they're trying so desperately to share with them. Yeah, indeed. Yep. Cool. So All right. with that said, Joshua, I'm, I'm going to... Get out of here. I'm going to let my listeners get out of here. I'm going to let you get out of here if you need to. I do. It's 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 time to start doing things. It's summer season, isn't it? Oh, boy. <sighs> for, it is. For, for two men with their home offices, having the kids off school for 13 weeks poses a whole host of new problems. Mostly it's harder for you and me to day drink on FaceTime. I find it's just as easy to day drink. I end up like not being such a great dad while doing that. But, you know, it's just as easy to get it down my throat. I haven't found that difficult. 
<laughs> okay, here's a clang and a glasses. Thanks to David Turner again. Thanks to the listeners yeah, again. Thanks thank to you so again. Much. Thanks All to right. me again. I'm so happy to be back. Oh. That week hiatus when Matthew Reese was your business partner, it was difficult for me, but I'm not going to get into that at the end of the episode. I'm going to get out of here on a high note and say, here's to summer. Cheers, homie. Cheers, brother. picked up your shoulders every time you sit, said it you're like shoulder up shoulder down one elephant two elephant shoulder up shoulder That's, down this is my metronome <laughs> <laughs> see my uh my wife refers to that as prison shoulders when you know you, you dance and you, your shoulders get all tight you're like <laughs> You're like you're they're tense shoulders because at any time someone's gonna fucking rape you. Your your wife sees the world in a very textured way. I would say in a very smooth way. <laughs> I wasn't talking flavor. <laughs> oh, gosh. So ridiculous. So ridiculous. So ridiculous. This is the world in which we live. Yeah, I'm not digging it so much these days. <laughs> not digging it. Here we are. Now the now the wind's getting up, but it's blowing the clouds away. So six and two threes. Well, you want it to blow the clouds away, right? Yeah, but it's really windy out there. Huh? I also had to go put on a hoodie. June 13, I had to go put on a hoodie. Mm-hmm. It was freezing in my house today. What a world. Yep. A crazy world yep. in which we live. And they say global warming. I know, right? Right. Not where I am. Not where I am. We could use a little bit of that good old global warming, huh? Yeah. Now, if they called it global raining, maybe I'd see where they were coming from. <laughs> global raining. They had that. A few thousand years ago, a guy by the name of Noah was dealing with global All right. raining. All right. Yep. All right. A lot of the people he tried to warn, they said it was a conspiracy. They didn't believe it. He's like, well, screw you. I'm going to bring my kids ham and shem and only two of every animal. Shem, not cheese? I thought his kids were ham and cheese. (laughs) Um, This is why Jews don't eat ham? This is why Jews don't eat ham. Checks out. I, to, to to eat ham, that's actually a sexual reference in the, liturgically speaking, liturgically speaking. Yeah, it's, growing up in Scotland, that's an ecumenical matter. <laughs> that's how you get to know someone in, in the biblical sense. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Okay. All, right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Let's pull the band-aid. Pull the band-aid.